0: Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 222, Station Science 2021. I'm Gary Jordan and I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers and astronauts all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight. Active listeners of this podcast know that the space station has a lot of research going on. More than 3000 experiments over more than 20 years of human presence. When we when we measure and plan all of these activities, we do so in a period called an increment. Essentially, this is a stretch of time between crew handovers or when one crew replaces another. They're typically about six months. And in that six months, there are about 250 experiments that can occur, sometimes more. That takes a lot of planning and coordination. And with years of experience, NASA has this down to a science, pun intended. So we're gonna take a look at the current increment, increment 66, to talk about some of the great science on board now and some more uh, coming up that we can expect. And we're gonna learn what it takes to coordinate all of that and cram it into a million other things happening on board at the same time. This behemoth of a task is assigned to Mandy Cady, the research lead for increment 66. And we got a chance to sit down with her and learn about how all of this works. So let's get right into it. Enjoy.
1: Minus five seconds
0: at County. Mark. There she goes. Isn't we have a podcast? Mandy Katie, thank you so much for coming on Houston. We have a podcast today.
1: Howdy and hello. <laughs>
0: Hey, I'm very interested not only to learn about the interesting science coming up here, uh, now that we have, uh, I guess at this point, the time that we're going to release this episode, we have a new crew on board, um, but I want to explore just what it takes to organize that as well, and also what it takes as the the person who's organizing it. So, uh, Manny, why don't we start a little bit about you and your previous roles at NASA. What, what helped you to become uh, what we will get into here in a second, which is an increment lead. Tell me about your previous experience.
1: So I have been in and around uh, ISS and research for a little over a decade. I've kind of bounced around behind the scenes doing actually writing the requirements of here's what here's the box that you have to fit in in order to get up onto ISS and make sure everything works and follow all the rules to making sure people are, you know, uh, making sure that people are keeping those requirements and verifying them, all the way to actually being on the payload developer side, which is the person that's bringing in the science and creating the experiments and putting those into orbit. So this new position that I'm currently in, the increment research lead, is a little bit more on the internal NASA side, and it's working with those experiments and making sure they get onto ISS and are successful and perform their science.
0: So is it a lot more like, Sounds like project planning or, or organizing. It sounds more more of that, maybe so, than than less of the hardware development or 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 the science aspect. Is that is that sort of a true readback?
1: So it's more on the science aspect. Okay. I agree. It's, okay. it's it's definitely more planning than it is actually putting hands on hardware and building right. things. I save that for the engineers there who are much better at it than <laughs> I am. Um I'm more that kind of detail-oriented person that says, hey. Um, I have a black box that I need to send up and it needs to be exposed for X number of days. And then I need someone to tweak this and tweak that. I have to make sure that that gets done correctly into the originators, uh, spec, uh, specifics, basically.
0: Okay. I understand. Is this your first go around as, uh, in this role or have you, have you done this for a previous increment?
1: No, this is actually my first increment. I'm pretty excited about it.
0: <laughs> all right. Cool. Well, well let's uh, what we're saying here is, is the word increment. And I feel like at least at least from me, that's that's more like internal NASA speak whenever we're doing some of this planning work to to make sure all of this great science gets executed. So if, if someone were to come off someone were to come to you off the street and say, Hey Mandy, what's what's an increment? What what exactly does that mean when it comes to uh, space station expedition or planning? How do you respond?
1: So agree, that total NASA speak, so cautious there, because I'm I'm sure I'll get into that speak here and there. Um, So if if someone were to just ask me, like, what's an increment, it's about a six-month period. Essentially, they coincide with a Soyuz docking. So for my specific increment, I have a Soyuz that docks on ISS 66S. Um, on October 18th, and then it leaves ISS, or undocks on March 30th of 2022. So while that Soyuz is up there, there are other vehicles that are coming in, other science, other people that are going on during that six-month time frame. And so I'm in charge of making sure all the science gets done and then working any issues that may or may not happen during that time.
0: Okay, I understand. So your 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 focus th- that you it's a measure of a period of time, an increment is a measure of a period of time. You have a pretty good understanding of who's gonna be on board at that time, but your focus is really in that period of time, here are my priorities when it comes to the scientific investigations that that we're gonna execute in that time.
1: Correct and now I do know the crew members and the different spaceflight participants, all all of the people that are going to be up on ISS during that time. Because sometimes we have investigations that are specific to a person. We do a lot of mm. human research, and so we do have to be very cautious and knowing of who's on board, when, where, and their different constraints and protocols. I
0: understand. Okay. So so who are we looking at for for this increment? Um, so I, I, we could, we could talk about it now, especially because we're we're recording it. So we'll talk about it real time, understanding mm-hmm. that when this comes out, I think we'll have uh I think we'll have crew three on board by the time this this comes on uh, out. So okay. So so who who are who are going to be the lucky people that are going to get to do the experiments that you're managing?
1: So in during my full six month time frame, I'll have about seventeen. Crew members. So that's wow. USOS. That's international partners. That's spaceflight participants. So those are uh, by spaceflight participant. I mean visitors, people that have paid to come onto ISS for a specific reason and then return back. During that mission, we also have uh, what's referred to as the PAM mission, which is the private astronaut mission that Axiom is working. And so that's mm-hmm. an additional four people that'll be on board in early uh, 2022. So that's about 21 people in a span of six months that we've got that are going to be doing different investigations, sleeping, eating, and everything else that's involved with living and working on the International Space Station.
0: So not bad for your first go around as an increment lead, huh? Sounds like a heck of an it's increment. It's a
1: little busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good, I, I,
0: you know. And one of the things that you're getting thrown into now is is th- this is definitely a, a unique case because we're we're we have commercial crew missions, which I want to focus on here in a second. But but now we're also starting to to work on these private astronaut missions. So that's that's a whole other thing. Let's let's focus on commercial crew for a second. This is. This is a little bit unique because with the addition of uh, of commercial crew, now there are more seats on a vehicle, which means more people on board. And so for you, um, how does that affect your work? Understanding that now you have more bodies on board to execute the science. How does that fit into your planning?
1: So it's definitely good. The more commercial vehicles <laughs> that we can have up there, the better. Um, So we're no longer dependent on Soyuz vehicles in general, which one, from what I'm told, are very expensive. Um, And two, they have a limited capacity. So um, being able to have these commercial vehicles, we have bigger capabilities. So that's things like, hey, maybe I can bring bigger items up there, um, bigger satellites. I can bring more items. I can bring Uh, items that have a little bit different protocols such as like hey I want to bring up some cell biology and it has Mm -hmm. to be kept cold and uh, for X number of time before you get it on ISS so increasing those capabilities just opens up a whole world of possibilities for the different research that we can bring in and then execute on ISS.
0: Hmm, okay. Yeah, I want to investigate that too for a second is um, We'll talk about let, let's dive into the planning aspect and all of the different pieces that have to come together for you to For you to do your job. I definitely want to talk about the science constraints, but before we do Let's talk about the flow. Let's talk about the flow of how okay. of how you get the information and how it gets fit into your planning so so on the I guess we it, you can help guide me because you're the one that's obviously planning this but how how does the research first come in that says um, I am an investigator I want to do a scientific experiment on station uh, approximately do they say approximately this time so so how is that where's the entrance um, for for this research coming in?
1: So there's different avenues. so okay. l- let me start with the the little bit harder aspect. So if you are a researcher that has a, a relationship with NASA, you can talk to your NASA counterparts and have um, paperwork, documentation, contract stri- strict with NASA that says, here's what I want to do and go forth and thou shalt do it. <laughs> the other way, the, the way that the most people come in, since they may not have those established um established counterparts, established relationships, is they go through the ISS National Lab. So a perfect example. So I used to be a payload developer. And what would happen is ISS National Lab would send out a RFP, a a request for proposal. They'd say, hey, the International Space Station wants to do research on um, cellular biology, um, something to do with uh, cancer research send in all your ideas, we'll slim it down, and decide who, who gets it. So, if I was a researcher, I would say, hey, I've got this great idea, I'm going to write up a proposal, and I'm going to send it in. Okay, so I get through all the wickets, ISS National Lab decides, hey, this is an awesome idea, this is what we want to do. Um, now, we're going to give you options of different implementation partners. So, these are the Space Tango's, the BioServe's, um, the different uh, payload developers that we often mm-hmm. hear internally with NASA that are building experiments. So once ISS National Lab chooses me, quote unquote, they like my proposal, they give me the option of talking to these different guys and essentially contracting out my, uh, my idea to them and saying, here's what I wanna do, how do you propose to do it? And I get to choose who I wanna work with. And then that kicks off the, um, the process of actually developing the hardware, of create, of m- making that idea that I had originally in paper come to life and then integrating it over to NASA. So once I choose that payload developer, then I work with ISS National Lab and then they get it through the NASA wickets, as I like to say. So the documentation and initial approvals to actually start working alongside that implementation partner and getting my research up to iss
0: so is it after It's not. That, that's that's a lot i like this iss national lab example so after all of that approval happens and mm-hmm. they say all right this is this is good we have an implementation partner we know who's going to be actually executing it doing all these checks and everything where do you come in to say okay this this is uh, or, or maybe there's a couple more steps that we're missing here uh where you come in and say okay let me see what I can do to fit it into the Increment 66 schedule.
1: Okay, so I come in once ISS National Lab has, has chosen, chosen who they want to work with. The um, person who has written the proposal has chosen an implementation partner, and that implementation partner has told ISS National Lab, hey, we're at a point where we're putting hardware together and we have a schedule and we know we're gonna fit in increment 66 and this is what we wanna do. Are you good with it, ISS National Lab? And ISS National Lab looks you know, kind of at their, their long range plan and their different capabilities and they say, okay, yeah, we got a spot for you right here. Go ahead, we're gonna sign you off to be in increment 66 and go start putting all your paperwork in then that's when i get involved in really Hmm. digging into the details of okay so you have this experiment you are going to give it over to nasa in order to launch on this date you want it to go on this vehicle and here are the different kind of protocols and constraints that you have with this experiment in order to get it done can I do that does this work and let's kind of make sure I understand exactly what this principal investigator wants for their experiment so I can make sure it gets done to their satisfaction and to make sure we optimize that science on the international Space Station
0: okay now now I'm, I'm sure all of these different researchers have their own let's see their their own nitpicky things that they that they want uh, maybe, maybe that's the wrong term to say but essentially, You know, some of the investigations can run on their own. Some of the investigations require oversight. Some of the investigations require astronaut time. Um, so, so how is that part of your process to say, um, you know, let's, let's fit this onto and like all of the different pieces that have to be what I'm, what I'm asking for really is all of the pieces that have to be considered to, uh, for supporting on orbit.
1: So luckily for me, um, a lot of that, a lot of those kinks, so to speak, have already been worked out by the time it gets to me. But I do help with some of that. Uh-huh. For example, um, a investigation might come through that needs what's called um, called the MSG, the Microgravity Science Glovebox. So basically, it's just an enclosure that you put an experiment in and then the astronaut uses the box to protect themselves and they have gloves that they go inside the box and they can work an experiment. Uh, it might be an experiment that they're worried about something leaking or possibly an off gas or just, just some type of thing just to keep the crew safe. So that MSG, that microgravity science glove box, is there, there's not a lot of them on orbit, there's only one. And we have to make sure that we're watching that facility throughput and not every experiment can use that MSG. So if I get an experiment that comes in and says, hey, I need use of this facility, then I have to step back and say, okay, well, I've got four other experiments in the queue. What are your constraints? Do you have to be down at a certain time? Do you have to come back on a certain flight? Do you have, do you have to be in there for a long time? Do you only need a short amount of time? Do, can you work autonomously, just like you mentioned? Do you have to have a crew member there? Do you not? So I have to look at all that and make sure it fits. And if I see an issue like, oh, well, hey, you have to be in this facility for, you know, three months, that's a problem because I have all these other items that are in queue, then I have to raise the flag and say, hey, is this a need? Is this a want? This is kind of where the, the little the niches that the principal investigators want. Mm-hmm. And I have to dig in and say, is this a need? Is this a want? Or is this a desire? So what's pertinent to the science to make sure that I'm optimizing that science, but not going overboard, so to speak. And so that's kind of where i come in to make sure everything stacks up correctly almost kind of like um i will give rachel really good props on this one she gave me a good example Uh, Mm -hmm. a good way to word it would be like thinking about a thanksgiving dinner you've got multiple dishes some are hot some are cold not all of them can go in the oven at the same time you've got people coming in bringing stuff you have to take all of that into account for the full meal to make sure everything gets to where it needs to go so to speak i think that's a little bit better example than throwing all the nasa speak in there does that work
0: oh that's that's perfect i'm uh i I have made thanksgiving dinner myself and it is an excruciating nightmare but but it is beautiful when it all comes together right you it's it's uh, you got to make sure what has to stay hot and what can sit out and stay cold you know all that kind of consideration exactly what a wonderful example
1: It's a a big symphony of a lot of different, you know, a a lot of different aspects, you know, you want to make sure the turkey's right, but not dry it out. You you know, you want to make sure you don't set the house on fire with the, you know, the the, (laughs) the deep frying the turkey outside. I mean, you you just have a bunch of different aspects. And that's really where my team and I come together to make sure those are all documented correctly. um, And they're executed properly, because you and I both know you get to that Thanksgiving dinner and Hey, you had an uncle that come in, came in that's allergic to sweet potatoes and now you have to redo a meal or pull out something <laughs> different. There's always little tweaks that you have to do here and there just to make sure it all comes together in the end.
0: Well, that's a really good topic to jump into next uh is is replanning. I mean, you it sounds like you have a lot of work up front to make sure that when when you get to the increment, you have all the data you need and and you are ready to go. Uh the teams are ready to support and and all of the above, but you know, there's there's always that Uncle that comes and and you know might might have not have reported correctly that he was allergic to sweet potatoes. And you just you have to do what you can to to accommodate that. So when it comes to replanning, how does that work for you?
1: So that's when my team comes into the real time. So so that's, I guess I didn't really explain that very well in the beginning. So yes, we have all that pre-planning before our increment starts. When our increment starts, then we go into what's called real time. And so that's when we're sitting on console, we're listening to the crew and what they're doing. We're constantly looking at the schedule to make sure that our items are getting scheduled and performed correctly. And there are times when things you know, happen unexpectedly. Um, there are times when, up, oh, well, you know, we had a power failure, and so this facility went down, or, hey, the crew grabbed the wrong sample, or we put it in the wrong spot. Like, things happen. We're all human. Mm-hmm. We all understand that. And so then there's a little bit of replanning. You know, we, we get a call down that says, hey, we had an issue. Here's what we decided to do in the moment, or, hey, can we... Go talk to the principal investigator, which for most of our experiments, we will have someone on call that is listening while the experiment is going on. That can say, hey, I'm not seeing this thing that you put in the instructions. What do you want me to do? And so sometimes we can correct it then. Other times we have to troubleshoot or come back and replan things and so we're in constant communication with not only the principal investigators and the implementation partners but also the supporting nasa teams that are the experts in whatever system that we're working in so that's kind of how when we move into the real-time planning that's what we're working on on a daily if not well yeah it is a daily basis
0: (laughs) that's uh i I do want to get into the execution part of things um uh, absolutely because that sounds like a big part of your role let me I, just a couple more things on the planning phase that i was mm-hmm. curious about before we jump over there um because w- because it sounds because it sounds like what when you're when you're your job really is to try, i mean and correct me if i'm wrong you're trying to make everybody happy you're trying to make the researchers happy and make sure that they're getting everything that they're requesting, but you also want to consider the flight control teams. You want to consider the astronauts and their time, the facility and hardware owners. It sounds like you got to make everybody happy. Is that a fair readback?
1: I think that is totally fair. My, my two top priorities, and any NASA person will let you know, top priorities are the safety of the crew, safety of the vehicle. Those are always going to be our top priorities. Um, after that, for me, it is making sure the science gets done and is done uh, is optimized. So we want to make sure there's no loss of science, and then making sure everybody else is happy is kind of the um, auxiliary priority, so to speak. So yes, I think that's fair. That's,
0: <laughs> I know that 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 struggle of trying to make everybody happy, um, but there's got to be some some fun parts to it too. I mean, you're working with a lot of cool people, and uh, especially the researchers. I mean, they have, they, I, I can only imagine the, the level of excitement that they, that they have when they're talking about getting their research up in space. That's gotta be so cool. Do you ever get some time to, to talk to them or to, to travel over to their lab and, and get to look at the investigation, make sure it's going to fit the needs on orbit or anything like that. Do you get to, you know, travel around, meet cool people, that sort of thing?
1: so when we were not in a pandemic type situation we were definitely meeting with our international partners during the Mm. planning phase and meeting them face to face which uh, you know unfortunately we weren't able to do that this year but we are looking forward to once we're out of this pandemic situation that we will be able to meet face to face we are you know talking to them on a daily if not weekly basis to make sure all of all of our items get planned and scheduled correctly um as far as like the principal investigators we do get feedback from them as well as some of their nasa counterparts which i'm also constantly talking to but really as far as the principal investigators and the people that are designing the hardware i got i got to see a lot more of that when i was on the payload developer side of things so like that implementation Mm. partner that i was talking about earlier Mm -hmm. and in that time i was actually like hands-on hardware meeting with the actual scientists that were developing uh, these experiments and so i saw more of it then than i do now but luckily i still have those contacts and can still reach out to them or you know talk to them via email when on an on an as needed basis i understand
0: okay Uh, very cool though. I mean, hopefully we'll get to, to get to that soon because there's, there's, um, you know, I think that that's just a cool part of the job that we get to do is just talk to so many really cool people. Um, yeah, let, let's, uh, let's go to the execution then. I think you called it, um, you get to real time, maybe real time ops. Uh, so, so what's happening? Okay. Now, now you've done all the planning, you know, you talked about replanning a little bit, but what's, what's that period of time? I know this is your first time around, but what are you expecting in particular for increment 66 on how you're going to support as the lead?
1: So I'm expecting some long hours. I'm expecting some weekend (laughs) calls, but, um, I I, I say that with a smile on my face. I mean, it it sounds, it sounds difficult. It sounds not fun. It sounds like a lot of work, but when you step back and realize that, I mean, you're listening to the crew members as they are doing this experiment, you're watching video of these crew members performing these experiments that maybe a year ago, maybe more than that, that a, that a principal investigator, a student at MIT, whoever it might be, had an idea. And now you are literally watching these people bring it to fruition like that that's amazing to think of and you know all the planning aside all of the you know information gathering that we do like that I think that's a huge thing to take into account and sometimes gets a little lost in translation when you're doing it on a daily basis but that part of it I think is really cool Um, realizing that I am at this point in time sitting at home And I am listening to the crew members that are, you know, what, 250 miles above us, um, working these experiments, another cool aspect. Um, but very busy is what I expect. Very busy, lots of meetings and presentations to say, here's what we did on orbit this week. Here's what went right. Here's what, you know, we had a little bit of trouble with, and here's how we're going to make it work in the end.
0: Okay. So you're really, you're really. Um, just making sure everything is going smoothly. And it sounds like you're maybe the point person that if something needs to change, whether, whether it is a replan or, or whether it's just some, some maybe issue that comes up, you're the person that has to make sure that um, that you're working through it to, to make sure safety of the crew, safety of the station and that the science gets done. It sounds like that's, and that's really where that those long hours come in.
1: Correct. Yeah. If um Again, looking at those constraints. Uh, right. Looking at like, hey, something went wrong, if or hey, uh, we had a crew member that you know doesn't feel well or doesn't want to participate in this investigation anymore for whatever reason. How does that affect the science? Is there a loss of science? It, can we do something different? How can we? What can we do in this situation? You're the science expert. Go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so who, who, when you say your team, you talk about your team. Who is the team um, that that you're working with, and and where are they located? Because I know it might not just be Johnson.
1: Oh, of course. So here at Johnson Space Center, so I I am the Earl, the Increment Research Lead, and then below me I have um, what's called a REI, R I E R I E. Sorry, I'm gonna get it right here in a second. <laughs> research increment engineer so this is just uh, this is basically my second-in-command this is someone who's coming along and um, helping me with documentation and all the planning so they're the person that um, is in and out of different databases and supporting me in meetings and feeding me data when things get um, when things change and just really my point person when someone comes to me and says hey, we've decided that uh, we might want to change this flight. How does that affect any of your investigations? Okay, hmm. let, me, you know, let me go look at everything and let's put a presentation together and explain my impacts and just the, the, the weekly reporting that I have to do in order to keep all of the different groups of NASA in sync with what's going on in orbit and what's happened, what's not happened, so to speak. Um, that's my team here at JSC. Other teams that I work with include the international partners. So there are EARL-like, I would say an EARL equivalent, essentially, at Japan, at, at Europe, in Canada, um, with Aussie, um, also in Russia that we're constantly in communication with. Um, I'm working with uh, Marshall Flight Center, so they have uh, what's called planners. So these are the guys that I say, here, here are all my experiments. Go, go put them in a schedule and Lego it and Tetris it together and tell me what fits <laughs> and what doesn't fit, which those guys are amazing. I, I could not do that. I would, I would go blind within a couple of hours. Um, but I have those, that group of team or that team that I work with that are awesome bunch of guys. I also have um, the actual increment team, which I'm part of. So you have um, increment managers who um, sit, they're the ones that actually sit in the MCC and are on the loops and they're doing the, uh, and by MCC, I mean the Mission Control Center here in Houston. Sorry, I'm I'm getting into that NASA speak that you talked about earlier. and so they're sitting on the comms they're the ones that uh when someone someone does like a a flight readiness review they actually will do a poll and they're the ones that get to say hey increment 66 we're a go for flight so that's a really cool job um as well as they they look at the other aspects of the increment because for me I, i focus on the science that's that is my role my responsibility is the science the utilization, so to speak, is what we call it at NASA. Um, This bigger team, this increment team, they're looking at the systems hardware, they're looking at planning EVAs, Um, they're, Mm. they're looking at everything else that has to get done in an increment that maybe science doesn't care about or has nothing to do with that. So I'm, I'm just a small part of a much bigger increment.
0: But that's the beauty is that is that we're focusing. That's that's what I love about the, these um, these podcast episodes. Mandy is that we get to zoom in on just this on one aspect of it. And really and exactly what you're saying, where there. Imagine how much you, what you just described is how much work and coordination across uh, agencies around the world has to happen for this part. And then and then you ended it by saying, but I'm just one small part. It's really fascinating how much has to come together to to make it all work.
1: Completely agree with you. It is, it, when you step back and really look at the full picture, it's, it is really amazing, just what this program as a whole can accomplish. And and we're just talking the International Space Station. I mean, there's NASA's got a ton of other programs going on that I'm not <laughs> part of. So it it really is amazing.
0: Well, let let's focus on the amazing that is increment 66 by highlighting some of the great science that we can expect. Now you you have a lot that you're tracking. Um, so if you had to pull out just a couple of them to say, well, I'm really excited about X x, y, and z as well as everything else, right to give it to make sure it's fair. but but just mm-hmm. a couple of of key examples that that we can look forward to for this upcoming increment
1: so oh gosh yeah so out of the couple hundred of investigations <laughs> that will occur in <laughs> no Inchernet small 66, task i'm sorry no, no no you're good you're good um so there's there's a couple that do stick out in my head so one of them being an experiment called r health um so basically it's a it's a small device think of it Think about when you watch Star Trek, or heck, even Star Wars. I'm I'm not a Trekkie, so I'll I'll go with the Star Wars example. All right. Um, no offense, Trekkies. Uh, so think about you're you're in outer space. You know you're flying around in your Millennium Falcon, and there's there's no doctor's office. There's no you know quick ER that you can jut around to if you think you might be coming down with something. Um, our health is designed to be this, this small unit. That looks at the properties of your cells, so you'll give it like a little sample of your cells or your blood. I'm not I'm not exactly sure what the sample is, and it's it's able to read the properties of your cells in that sample and tell you, hey, you've got the flu, or hey, your your iron's a little low. You need to you need to work on that, and it'll be able to give you those results in a short in a in a short time frame. So you're not having to send samples off to you know quest labs and then get them back in a couple of weeks. You you have a machine right there that reads your sample, says, "Here's your issue, go forth and fix it."
0: <laughs> so it sounds like uh how I how I would imagine that would be super valuable is um is precisely that when you need that kind of data quickly. Um and particularly I'm thinking on missions to uh Mars, future missions to Mars. If you had to wait to, you know, download your results uh, downlink them to, uh, uh, you know, from, to the ground that could be up to 20 minutes away and then wait for a response Mm -hmm. and then get, you know, that, and you need to find out what's, you know, what, what's, what's happening in your body. You need that quick and you need that sort of instantaneous feedback. And so this sounds like a technology demonstration, a little closer to home to get ready for those, for those longer and farther flights.
1: Definitely. So not only is it to prepare for those long duration missions, um, just like Mars, um, which are very, very important, but then also we can translate that back to the everyday Earthling who's here on Earth, that maybe, maybe they're in a country where medical aid is not rapidly uh, available to them. So wouldn't it be great to test this technology out on ISS, not only use it to further further us into the universe towards Mars, but also for the, to benefit those earthlings here that, you know, maybe just don't have ready medical access. We can give them something like this and uh, the ability to read it or maybe even video conference a doctor and say, Hey, are these are my results. What do I do? So there's, <laughs> there's so many benefits.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love that it's the it's the farther out and it's and it's the closer to home I didn't mean to overlook look that but that's a that's a super important element um let, let's do one more if you if you can think of one of more to highlight yeah uh,
1: so another one of course since we're living in the world of technology um so there's another one called we, we refer to it as fop 2 which is fiber optic production 2. So um, fiber optic cables, you know, everyone wants fiber at their house. They want, they want the quicker, faster internet. Um, so they've realized, or I, let me say they've theorized, since this is the, the second iteration of this experiment, mm-hmm. that you can build better fiber optic cabling in a microgravity environment. So there's there's less bubbles, there's 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 just a more perfect product that can be spooled and um, created in a microgravity environment, which would lead to a better product here on Earth. So better fiber optic cabling for everybody.
0: <laughs> Not bad. Faster speeds, faster speeds for everyone. And it sounds like it's the microgravity that's really the interesting part here because um, it doesn't matter where you produce it on the ground. It's really the lack of gravity that helps it to... To um to to be more perfect, so that so continuing that investigation sounds like it's it has to be done on the space station.
1: Definitely, yeah. You have so so much so many fewer defects when you're right. in a microgravity environment than you would here on Earth, and you know that's going to lead to. You know, being able to transmit on a broader spectrum—that uh, you don't have to have as many signal boosters. I don't know about you, but I've got so many signal boosters in my house; it's it's a little crazy. I'd love to not have so many.
0: <laughs> I feel yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get a mesh Wi-Fi because there's there's little weird pockets here, you know, and that's just just it's little so things. It's so weird. Just, I know. <laughs> um, you know what? Let, let's let's see if we could squeeze in one more. If you're okay with that, Mandy, just okay. to, to squeeze in one more example.
1: Um, let's see, how about X-Roots? So I know a lot of people think that uh, growing plants is, is kind of boring, um, but um, it's very vital. Again, we talked about um, going to Mars. Uh, we gotta be able to grow our own food when we get there. So that's why plant biology is super important. So what X-Roots is, and X-Roots is, it stands for the Exposed Root on Orbit Test System. So that's an experiment that's going to look at different ways that plants can be grown with or um, without soil or even just with a growth media in a microgravity environment. So and I just think that the plant biology experiments just have the best pictures. <laughs> it's just it's really know. Neat to see to see, you know, I mean we've got hatched chili peppers up there right now that are growing that during increment 66 our our crew is gonna actually be able to consume i mean how neat is that to be able to say that you ate space peppers
0: yeah peppers grown in space and you're right it's sort of just visually even just i mean some of them have like really cool led lights um which which are fascinating in their own in their own way but just i mean when you just look at a plant in orbit i mean it, it it's it takes you back and you're thinking wow that thing successfully grew in space and that's huge right that and and it yes. go, kind of goes both ways i love your example of showing the um the exploration benefits and the benefits on ground exploration now you can grow plants for for you know those long duration flights the better we mm-hmm. we get at this the the better you know we can po- probably uh, produce food and that can be put into the the a regular cycle of things that the astronauts are eating even on the ground. It helps to make the plants grow more efficiently Understanding mm-hmm. when you take microgravity out of the equation Just just how how plants interact with certain things might might make things a little bit more efficient on the ground
1: Definitely so really cool and and also the reason it sticks out to me is this is a long duration experiment so I mean this is mm-hmm. like a hundred and twenty day grow out so oh, wow. we're going to constantly be looking on, at video and checking these plants. And so we're going to be continuously looking at these guys throughout increment 66. So that's another reason why it really sticks out for me. Well, it sounds like you're
0: going to be pretty busy. And uh, an mm-hmm. increment, like we said, is about six months. So mm-hmm. you got a lot stacked up for you for, for that amount of time. What happens after the increment? What are some of the things that you're doing to wrap up your time as the lead? Vacation. <laughs> no, I, well I, say <laughs> I say that jokingly.
1: I say that jokingly. So, so definitely, my team and I will. We will take a break. We will recharge, cool. um, and then um, we'll start kind of closing up. We'll we'll do um, a, a, quite a few documents, quite a few presentations that says, "Okay, here's what we did in our increment. Here is all the science we accomplished. Here's." What here's what we executed. Here's, you know, some uh, areas of improvement. Here's some lessons learned and then we will begin working on our next increment as well as, you know, passing it off to, you know, increment 67, which will start up right after ours. So a lot of work afterwards but uh definitely a little bit of time off and then just gearing up for the next increment i know um after 66 i know know it's early after 66 i'll be working increment 69 so gotta get ready for that
0: is that typical then that that spread between increments is it, it takes about that much time to debrief from the previous increment do lessons learned all the documentation and then spin up in preparation for the next thing is that is that pretty normal for increment leads as you guys are you guys are staggering by maybe three increments at a time.
1: Uh, right now it is. We're working cool. on kind of shortening that gap. So uh, you know, I, like I said, we we work three months, Or sorry, we work six month increments. Um, we are working to make things a little bit uh, a little bit more cohesive to where we might have two earls working an increment. So you'd have three Uh-oh. months on, three months off, and so there'd be a little bit more take back i just happen to be the last earl that's doing uh, a full six month rotation so but we're, oh, we're working okay. on those
0: well you know what it is it is changing time so that makes sense it's a lot faster paced and and we just went through right and an increment used to be Soyuz handover right so so mm-hmm. it was a uh, um uh, and even before that was shuttle but but now you got all these other things thrown in there that that um just make it uh th- there's a lot to it and there and like we said we talked that with more crew on board there's more science so there's more stuff yes you got a lot of work ahead of you and uh and that makes sense to make it more efficient because and, and i think that's really what's exciting about about having you on today and, and it makes me think uh, maybe we should have some of these other increment leads in the future on later to talk about that transition from six months to to lower um or, or to, to less amount of time because what's interesting is just how fast paced this world is there's just so much going on there's so much to do and it's all super exciting and, and new and um it's just a really cool time to be in the space industry
1: and it's constantly changing too i mean during increment 66 you're going to have the first pam mission the first private astronaut mission Mm -hmm. that's huge
0: that's absolutely
1: huge and and they're gonna bring they're gonna bring their own science they're gonna bring their own um you know their own people i mean that's and we're gonna continue having these pam missions you know throughout throughout the rest throughout the next couple of years so that i mean that in itself is a huge accomplishment
0: yeah. And it's it's and really what it is, is it's gearing up for the future. I mean, this it's happening right now, like you're saying, uh-huh. and, and the future is going to be private astronauts and, and NASA astronauts in lower. This is what we're trying to build right now. Private astronauts and, and NASA astronauts, international astronauts all working together uh, in space. And it's just this, this is this is the this is where we're at. It seems like it's the future, but but it's now it's pretty cool.
1: I would totally agree.
0: <laughs> well, listen, I uh I, I feel like I take I'm taking up a lot of your time and, and you have a a busy, busy schedule ahead of you. So so Mandy, I really appreciate you taking um a small chunk of your time. And I know especially coming up, you're gonna have to really get into it. So just just to come into our podcast and, and talk about some of the great work that you're doing and, and and really the entire team. It seems like it's a very widespread team. So uh really appreciate your time today, Mandy. Thank you.
1: Definitely. Thank you so much. And hey, if you ever have any questions about science or what's going on, my team and I are always at the ready to help. Um, You know, I I think it is incredibly important that even though we're, you know, working this on a daily basis, that we don't forget that we still have to talk about these awesome things that we're doing. Um, I feel that we are advocates for the science and that if we don't talk about it, who else is going to? So we, <laughs> well, we got to keep true. the spark alive.
0: Yes. And that's where you're welcome back anytime too. And maybe, maybe afterwards and, and, and after your well-deserved vacation.
1: No problem. Well, thank you very <laughs> much for having me. It was really great talking to you.
0: And great talking to you, Mandy. Thank you. Hey, thanks for sticking around. I hope you enjoyed uh, listening to Mandy Katie today and, and diving deep into her role. It's it's fascinating, isn't it? It's there's so much to just her role, but it's just one of many things that are that are coming together to to make ISS operations and, and all the activity on board make it all possible. I loved getting a chance to chat with her today and uh, understanding more about her role and, and I really am looking forward to maybe talking a little bit more about this role on the back end and see how things change over time. It's just a it's just a crazy uh, busy time that we're in right now. You can check it all out at nasa.gov ISS if you're interested right now to see some of the research on board. There's a subsection, if you go to that website, called Research and Technology. I, I implore you to check that out because they update that site regularly with weekly activities on what's happening on board the space station. And you can really get insight, especially now, there's a lot of science happening on board, and we'll talk about it here on this podcast as much as we possibly can, but we're just one of many across the whole agency. You can check us all out at nasa.gov podcasts. If you want to talk to us, we're on the Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit an idea for the show or ask a question. Just make sure to mention it's for us at Houston We Have a Podcast. This episode was recorded on October 4th, 2021. Thanks to Alex Perriman, Pat Ryan, Nora Moran, Belinda Polito, and Rachel Barry, And of course, thanks again to Mandy Katie for taking the time to come on the show. Give us a rating and feedback on whatever platform you're listening to us on, and tell us what you think of our podcast. We'll be back next week.